This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the place. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I am happy to be joined this week by Hill Varsity staff writer Brady Oltmans. Brady, hello. How are you? Doing well, man. I'm not too happy that the cold stretch came back to Lincoln um, this time around, but you know what? We should be used to it by now. I'll, I'll tough it through for the next couple of days before it hits 50 again. Man, I got a text from my family in Oklahoma earlier this week um, where my mom was like, she was lamenting the disappearance of cold weather. It was like 70 in Oklahoma this week, earlier this week. She was like, I miss the cold. I want it to be cold again. And at the time I get this text message, it's like 32 degrees, windy, very cold here where I am. So I, I responded uh, basically with just like, hey, if you're missing the cold, you could come visit me. Uh, surprisingly, she was no longer missing the cold at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody who misses the cold um, tends to forget about how much they they miss the cold when it's like 22 degrees here and the wind chill has it at like 12, you know? At least that's what it felt like when, when my dog and I were out earlier. One of those things where when, when, I, when I present the opportunity for them to make a like a 12-hour drive in the car with my dad and with my brother, which is an unenviable experience the uh the desire to be to be in the cold the desire to be around chicago kind of goes away pretty quickly which uh you know it's kind of funny kind of funny how that works um man yeah. i'm tired today we're recording this late on a thursday later than normal on a thursday and i'm trying to get brady i'm trying to get my gym routine figured out because if i go in the morning which I went, I went early this morning. There's fewer people. I can get in and I can get out, and I don't have, I don't, I don't have to wait for machines. I don't have to deal with with a crowded gym. But I am tired the rest of the day. I mean, there's just like no motivation to do anything the rest of the day. But if I wait until the evening, then there's just a bunch of people there. Do you have this issue? Um, well, right now I'm working out at my apartment's gym, which isn't much. It's just a, but the treadmill and free weights do me fine. I've been doing that at night and it's fine, but I, I, at my best when I, I like my gym time was kind of late morning, um, at planet fitness, there wasn't very crowded. You could do all the machines and everything to yourself. I get the kind of tired 
um, the rest of the day, but that's when I have my, you know, meals prepped and I, I'd like to have like a lemonade or something like that with my lunch. And then I, my blood's pumping, everything's moving. And I, I just feel more kind of rejuvenated, more ready to tackle the day. Whereas if I wait until the night, um, like making calls and doing all the reporter stuff, it just, it's a lot easier to say, I'll wait 15 more minutes because I'm tired still. So I'm just a, I'm just a weirdo in that because it's a, it's it's a little bit easier to go in the evenings uh, for me. So I was not able to go Monday morning. I had stuff going on, so I decided to wait. And I was like, let's just see how this evening unfolds. <laughs> After two drives from Georgia, I was like, all right, we can go to the gym now. I don't have to watch this game anymore. That national championship game was a bummer. Uh, it's funny because Brandon was on this podcast last week, and Brandon and I were both like, yeah, this could be a game. It's going to be a game. Maybe maybe TCU, you know, something could happen. Maybe TCU makes it a game. No, in no way, shape, or form was that a game. And it was the perfect defense of the Stars Matter argument for recruiting rankings. The, um, I guess, the perfect defense for the Big Ten going cannibalizing other conferences to try to create super conferences so that you can boost your brand, so that you can therefore when on the recruiting field or on the recruiting trail more often, you got to catch the SEC, which has not won 13 of the last 17 national championship games, um, spanning both BCS era and college football playoff era. They won four straight. Georgia's won two straight. Um, so I just want to start with this because it, because it happened. And this is the sport that, that, you know, we spend pretty much our entire year um, engulfed in. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the national championship here at the open where, where like where do you think this board is right now in a good place in a bad place in a neutral place do you not care that georgia and alabama and the sec are just dominating the college football world and we get nice stories like tcu but ultimately they're not even in the same ballpark to win a national championship does that matter to you is that worrisome to you like where are you at with this sport right now um I, I'm multiple ways about it because I think if you're going to play the game, your instinct and your want is to win every game. And if you win every game, you win the national championship. Um, every team, it's my belief that every team's goal, while unrealistic for some as it may be, like I don't think uh, UMass is going to come out and say we're going to compete with Georgia next year. But if you're the head coach of you UMass. Don Brown can do that? Yeah. Well, if anybody can do it, it's Donnie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you you play to win the game, I believe is what, how one coach worded it. And I, for, you know, the better part of two decades or the last two decades of my life in college football viewership, it has been, you know, the SEC. Well, it's been the South and that historically means the SEC and it has largely meant the SEC. Um, I think, and a lot of us were cheering for TCU because we like that it's a, even though it's Dallas Fort Worth, you know, it's still a little something different. And it's, you know, big 12 team, scrappy team that really, they, they already provided me with my favorite sport, you know, college football moment of the year. And that's the, the no huddle field goal to beat Baylor. I had never in my life had I had seen something like that before and I loved it. You know, it was great, but I, I, I remember watching that game and just watching, cause I, I kind of went into it the same way that you and Brandon did where I was like, on paper, you know, Georgia's far superior, but TCU is, uh, it, you know, basically made it to this point because they win the games that they're not supposed to win. Um, 
and then obviously that didn't work out. And I kept thinking back to a conversation I had with um, Derek Joseph um, went back when I was doing that story with some of Mickey's uh, brothers and cousins, um, you know, when he just became interim head coach and, and Derek trains uh, guys for a living, you know, um, very, he helps guys with the um, NFL and NBA draft stuff, just like a good physical trainer. And I asked him, I'm like, these guys look different. Like now the athletes just look different. What's the, what's the difference? And he just, he, he sighed and was just like, man, everybody's athletic. Like you're not just putting some big uglies on the line anymore. These are guys that can box jump as high as anyone else. And they weigh for 350 pounds kind of thing, you know, like, and you look at that Georgia offensive and defensive line, those guys can go. I mean, Realistically speaking, if you put the 95 Nebraska team up against them, athletically speaking, strictly athletically speaking, they they are different breeds. Am I wrong? Like, I, I, I mean, Nebraska had that, that 95 team had that grit and that physicality, but you put Jalen Carter up against any one of them, and he's going to look just a, like a different human compared to those guys. And I think we're and wading to, into dangerous waters here talking about the, the best <laughs> team, one of the best teams in the history of college football <laughs> potentially being a scrub compared. To- no, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, you know, one is worse or better. I get what you're saying. Like People look others. differently now. Like you, we like, I, you know, maybe, maybe this is just recency bias, but I, I, I don't like, I don't scroll through, videos of college football lore in the nineties and the eighties and see six, seven dudes like Darnell Washington that are moving like that. You just don't really see that. Yeah. You don't see offensive linemen from 30 years ago or 25 years ago, be able to broad jump like that. You don't see them being able to cover that much ground with that much athleticism and make one handed interceptions and do the things that they're this Georgia and LS in Alabama. And to a certain extent, LSU, because I think LSU is going to be a real contender next year under Brian Kelly. There it's just different. Okay. And, and I think that that's, and a lot of those athletes and a lot of those caliber of kids are playing, you know, further in the South. And I think it's just historically been difficult for a lot of programs to have a good foothold in there when you're not a recruiting Goliath, like a Georgia or an Alabama, you know, and it's just a lot easier for some of those kids to stay at home or go from Louisiana to uh, Tuscaloosa or Louisiana to Athens than it is to, to, have them say, you know, come up here to Nebraska or come up to Michigan or whatever. And because it's, it's, it's easier to stay closer to home in anything. So, the, the, I mean, those were my big takeaways. Well, we saw the last guy try to do that to, to take kids out of the South, bring them here to Nebraska. And with the, sort of the, the advent of the transfer portal with the, I guess the, the much easier path recruits, players, young players now have to say, I'm not really playing. I feel like I should be playing. I'm going to go back somewhere where I can play and get back closer to home. Like if you don't, if, if you bring a kid, let's say from Florida to Nebraska and that kid doesn't play right away, it's just so much easier to bounce right back closer to home. You're around family a little bit more. And that's not to knock players for essentially wanting to be home for sure wanting to play because you only have X number of years to play. You want to play. Um, but it's just like, you know, it makes it hard. It makes it to where if you're not a team like Ohio State, which is just constantly winning football games, 
then you're not really going to be able to retain that talent, even if you're able to get into those areas and pull that talent out of those areas. Like it, it, it's a task trying to retain. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. Um, like I watched that national championship game and thought that like, I, you know, this is like, there are, there are, there are going to be really good stories in college football every year. And there are going to be really good teams. And, there's also going to be three or four elite teams that are just untouchable by anybody else. And I like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what changes that when that changes. So it's kind of something where like, you just kind of have to make peace with it. Maybe would you agree with that? Yeah. And make peace with it until you can actively change it. Like I'm being a former eight man tight end myself. And I just, I love the tight end position. And it's fascinating to me that that position itself has evolved with football, um, maybe more so than any other position in the game, you know, in recent years with your um, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, and and now with Brock Bowers. I mean, and and he wasn't the only amazing athlete, but there's, you, you can almost just put Brock Bowers in his own category. They don't make athletes like that on, they don't grow on trees. I mean, this is a generational athlete and that's not to knock on like a, like a Thomas Fedoni who was ranked ahead of, of Bowers out of high school because Fedoni, great athlete. I, I hope that big things are coming for him. He's been dealt some really gnarly hands with injuries and everything like that. And he seems really determined to come back. And I think with Satterfield's offense, the tight end will be heavily featured just in the way that they want to run the ball, um, not only with run blocking, but also, you know, leaking out with some some decent runs to to beat linebackers. But it's just, yeah, it, it, it's in these 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 kinds of higher caliber of athletes or I guess hybrid athletes or the this ridiculously athletic lineman, they don't exist in Nebraska or Kansas city area quite like they do in say uh, Miami, greater, you know, Metro area or a new Orleans area or even uh, mobile, you know what I mean? So if you're, you got two approaches, you can either dive in and try to make that happen, or you can do with what you can. And with this coaching staff, it looks like they're, they're not going to capitulate to anything. They're going to try to go get these guys. Well, it's kind of funny because the the image of um, Nick Saban on ESPN's desk, beside <laughs> David Pollock, as David Pollock is essentially saying, the keys to the kingdom have been handed over to Kirby Smart in Georgia. It was one of those things where I was thinking about it, and I was like, we thought for the longest time, like, Alabama's going to run this sport. Alabama's going to be king. What happens when Alabama's not king anymore? Does it start to then settle back out? No. That's not what happened. He just handed the keys to Kirby Smart, and now it's George's sport to run. And you have to think, you know, when it's no longer time for Georgia to do it, who, what's the next school? Probably in the, the southeast region of the country. Like, Clemson's not going anywhere. Um, if Texas A&M can figure out who the – the right head coach is Texas A&M will be pretty good. Get a little bit of Jimbo Fisher slander on here. Um, Florida state is actually very good. And with Miami being dookie and Mario Cristobal's first season and Cristobal's record of player development and Florida just completely exploding. Um, Florida state's in a very interesting spot going forward. Cause that's a good team. They're going to be preseason, maybe top five, yeah. top like six, seven, eight team. Um, 
We'll see. We'll see if Mike Norvell stays coach for a long time there. We'll see what happens with them. He's not, you know, he's not like a Kirby Smart type of coach, but that's a program that is going to be really easy to recruit to, especially if Miami stays so so and Florida uh, continues to not have thirteen million dollars to pay a quarterback, um, <laughs> which, by the way, is an absurd number. Like the numbers getting tossed around for NIL deals are absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I and I have a theory about A and M as well. Um, oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, any any any. And every opportunity to trash on AM, we will take on this podcast. Let's hear it. All right. Well, it's a kind of a roundabout thing, but um, I was basically, I was talking with a couple of recruit uh, coaches or coaches of recruits in Nebraska's pursuing, and they have said, basically told coaches, hey, we're in it. Like for, they said, well, this kid might go on his uh, Mormon mission, his two year mission after high school, which would put him on Nebraska's campus in 2026. And coaches were like, yeah, that's not an issue. We'll be here. Like we're, we're going to be here for the long run kind of thing, which I guess is kind of what you have to tell them, especially when you just get through the door, you know, but then that gets the wheels turning. We're like, we all know, like, what's the one job that, and granted, they haven't even coached a game here. Okay. Matt rule hasn't coached a game, but you just spend some game theory and let, you know, just let your mind wonder, like, what are the scenarios in your head? And I thought, there's no way, there's no way that he goes to Texas A&M. You know, like that's just not going to happen. Matt Rule at, at Texas A&M doesn't happen. But this is not where I thought you were going. But say maybe not this upcoming year, but the year after, you know, after the 2024 season and everything, you know, USC, UCLA are in the conference and everything are in the Big Ten and A&M finally gets rid of the Jimbo issue. Who do you look for? Um, maybe. Maybe you look at a guy that um, has SEC coaching experience, but um, you can't quite barter with getting a guy from Vanderbilt to A&M. But a guy from Van or a guy who coached at Vanderbilt coached Penn State into a Rose Bowl win. Maybe you could make that happen. And I thought, in two years, if James Franklin and the money goes to A&M, a Jimmy Sexton client to other Jimmy Sexton client for big money to State College that opens the door. And that was just a little thing. I'm not reporting anything. Obviously this is just speculation and just the way that my mind works. But I thought that is the most feasible way that Matt rule ever leaves Nebraska, like period. Like he, they are this staff and he is committed to Nebraska. Um, but let's all be realistic here. There's one job that he would leave Nebraska for. And it's that one. So my mind was like, what's, how does that happen? Would, like I get that it's Texas A&M and it's college station and there's oil money down there, but how would Texas A&M be able to afford buying out Jimbo and then also buying out? Cause they would have to, to buy out James Franklin. Yeah. And and Jimmy, Jimmy Sexton gets paid twice. (laughs) That man, I don't, you know, is Jimmy Sexton Mike Gundy's agent? Do you know this off the top of your head? I don't think he is. Okay. I, I, I I can't swear to it, but my initial reaction is I don't think so because I did a lot of um, agent watch and agent calls for the last six months. So and I don't and I did think Mike Gundy possibly you know for the job, but I don't believe he's a Jimmy Sexton client. Okay, because I don't I don't think he is either. But and I've never like just been like I wonder who Mike Gundy's agent is. I don't think it's Jimmy Sexton, so I've never looked it up. But I would imagine that in in the coach agent or sports agent industry, Jimmy Sexton and Mike Gundy's agent would have to be like the 
the agent equivalent of LeBron versus Jordan in basketball. Like Jimmy Sexton is incredible, but can we talk about for a second how good of an agent Mike Gundy has to have to just watch this Oklahoma State program completely crumble around him, and he's just completely fine. He's just fine. He's completely fine. You know who I feel bad for is 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 Flores going there. That program is going in the wrong direction, and they have a very good quarterback coming in, which – yeah, I mean, the offensive personnel are flocking, but all of a sudden you've got a, a bright star freshman coming in there who might have a legitimate stake at starting his freshman year and a team that has perennially perennially been a top 25 team in recent years. I mean, did, did Mike Gundy all of a sudden forget how to coach, or how's that go? Because I think, I think Oklahoma State is at the point, and maybe rightfully so, where – Gundy is kind of on hallowed ground. I mean, that that football program used to be decent. I don't think it's been as consistently good um, for many years as it has under under Gundy. No, this is what happens when you get a comfortable head coach who has more political power in his yep. position than his boss does. Yeah, yep. And we're not just talking about the One America News Network polos and the, the things that he says, like not that political, like – the no, I mean, like within within Oklahoma politics. State's building. Yeah, sorry, I mentioned I mentioned the word politics on a sports podcast, and I don't like don't, I don't want anybody to have gag reflex. We're not going there. I just like right. Gundy has more power inside Oklahoma State's building than Oklahoma State's athletic director does. And when you have when you know that as a coach, you can do whatever the heck you want, yeah. which is what he's doing. Like you can call a reporter an asshole and threaten to pull his credential in a press conference, and there's no repercussions from it. Like, you know, that's just, that's, that's kind of where we are. So, yeah. Um, I don't know how we got here, but I do <laughs> want to talk to you about a couple of Nebraska things. Um, oh, I guess if you want to. One, the coaching staff has been finalized and I'm, I'm pretty sure you and I talked about the youth on this coaching staff a few weeks ago or whenever it was ago. We talked about it on this podcast. I'm fairly certain we talked about sort of like the, the theme of this staff being youth. And Brady, there is a person on this coaching staff who is younger than I am. Younger than and me. And it feels strange. Um, what do you make of Nebraska's new wide receiver coach? Does age matter or is it just a number to you, Brady? Age has always been a number to me. I can say that comfortably by shopping at South Lincoln Targets for multiple years of my life. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, this is a really good time be- to ask me this because um, we're recording this on Thursday and we just um, met EJ Barthel and, e- and Evan Cooper, two of the position coaches, for the very first time, talked to the media. And actually, um, Evan Cooper, kind of a known energy guy, secondary coach, was kind of asked about um, the youth on the, on the team or on the coaching staff and especially uh, Garrett McGuire. He's, they work together and granted, for those who don't know, Garrett McGuire, son of, of Joey McGuire, now Texas Tech head coach, basically was um, a quarterback at Baylor and then graduated and immediately got, um, you know, an assistant role with the Carolina Panthers when Matt Rule took over there. Um, so he's a younger guy, but immediately thrusted into um, that NFL coaching staff. Now he takes over as the as a receivers coach. He and Cooper um, competitiveness it came up multiple times and um, drive and everything. He and Cooper do 4.30 a.m. workouts every day, going back to your workout. So try 4.30 a.m. and see how no. that gets you. No. <laughs> I tried it. No. Immediately no. I've seen what I need to see. Immediately no. 
Well, and <laughs> I know I, I can't wake up that early. I try, but um, usually I'm still awake at 4.30 and not just waking up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Aaron loves that. <laughs> um, it was also interesting because Cooper is the secondaries coach and McGuire being a receivers coach, like they, they butt heads, but like in a friendly way um, and have that competitiveness. They try to humble each other, but he said knowledge. Garrett McGuire is an incredibly knowledgeable guy and a lot of people that work with him at, at in the NFL level and his teammates and college really looked up to him and respected him. He, and Cooper even said as far as this, he's a quarterback, he's been a quarterback all of his life. You know why they have, you know, quarterbacks, they don't get hounded on for getting after a senior because they're natural leaders. Like they are, there's a leadership role in being a quarterback and you don't harp on a quarterback for being a leader. I thought that that was really insightful. Um, now, I get a, a lot of people got in my mentions or said something about when Billy Kemp um, signed with Nebraska for the transfer portal. They're like, is Kemp older than McGuire? Um, all right. Sure. But like the NFL also like the NFL, they just had a team playing in the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. And the head coach was younger than some of the players on that team. Like this, I don't, I get some of them, some of the players that you get in are going to, you know, see a guy who's younger than them on the coaching staff and think that they can kind of get away like substitute teacher vibes, but that's not what I get out of this. And I, I think he's, cause I do kind of like, not like the, the tangential hired his dad, I'll help out the son kind of thing. Um, but realistically speaking, he's been raised in football and now has two years of NFL coaching experience. He is an energetic guy and a former college quarterback. And he's, he knows Texas very well. He just coached in the NFL. He can kind of deliver the message to a lot of these guys. Um, I, I think it counts for something. And it's one of those instances where there's a lot of intangibles that go beyond the age thing. And I'm kind of excited to see what happens because this recruiting room is going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, age is one of those things. I feel like if it, if if you're in a if you're in sports, um, sort of the the assumption that whoever is oldest has the most sway or the loudest voice or is in the highest leadership position in a locker room or in a team or, or whatever kind of doesn't. I, it, I feel like it doesn't really exist in sports because if you play sports and you go through sports, you're inevitably going to find yourself in a situation at one point or another where somebody who is younger than you, either they're better than you, they are in a leadership position because like, let's say you're, you know, a senior wide receiver and the quarterback starting for your team is a freshman. So like, I don't see it really being an issue because I don't really see many instances where it is a major issue elsewhere. And like, I feel like, you know, the coaching staff is probably going to be able to, to pretty accurately identify players when they're recruiting who might look at the wide receiver coach and say, I'm older than you. Therefore I don't have to listen to you. That player is probably not going to get a committable offer. Yeah. Like, that's just part of it. Um, and plus, like you know, if you if you know what you're doing, and you you can sort of back it up, um, you're going to command respect regardless of how old you are. And like, this has been Rule's entire staff. You know, he's he's pretty much 
he's he's lending credibility to the staff just by the fact the simple fact that they are on the staff so like if you're a 24 year old and you're a position coach at the university of nebraska like that that commands quite a bit of respect <laughs> yeah well and, and matt rule's whole thing is development i mean he de- develops players but he also develops coaches and to your point like you it's also how you carry yourself i mean this is a competitive energetic fiery football guy that now gets to coach a position at a major college football program. He's not going to, you know, walk up to receivers and be like, "Mm, maybe you should try to do an out and don't hook as far. Like he's not going to be timid. He's not going to be like, these guys can push me around. He's going to be the coach and he's going to coach these guys hard because that's how he was coached by his dad and other coaches. And that's how this coaching staff operates. They know how to get the best out of guys. They all align in that vision and I think Garrett McGuire got hired because he fits that vision, but also because he could be a really good coach. He just needs a place to start. What did you make of the conversation with Cooper today, Thursday? What, what were kind of sort of your walk away takeaways from that? Um, well, the, the, the big takeaway and a, a lot of the running theme was recruiting stuff because he is so active on social media and recruiting. And uh, he got hired and immediately um, started recruiting um but to the point of like player development and spotting guys that might be good fits, he is at a, he's, he worked with rule at multiple spots, uh, the last three spots. And at each point he was the director of personnel to some extent, he was the assistant director of player personnel at the university of Miami, uh, you know, before joining um, rule full time as the director of player personnel at temple. Like he's, he was in the front office in the draft room, crunching video, like to evaluate players for the Carolina Panthers. And he might've been a whole lot better if they actually got a quarterback there, but that's really the missing piece. And they still don't have one. They haven't had one since cams first, you know, lot, but that's for a different thing. Um, He's really good and enjoys evaluating talent. He is an energetic guy. That's ready to, to get the right guys in, get the guys that um, feed into the program in, the way he talked was that not just him, but all the other coaches kind of align with who they want to get, the kind of caliber of athlete, what they're looking for when it comes to evaluation. And really the, the one thing I did think he said was interesting was they, they're just honest with kids and say, you, you will do as much for us as we will do for you. Like if you want to give it your all and push yourself and to make Nebraska better, we're going to make you as best as you can be. And, and that's the, the quote unquote recruiting pitch, because he said they don't have a recruiting pitch. The closest thing is just to say that. And then to say, this is Nebraska. Like it still matters to it. If it doesn't matter as much to the coaches or to the kids, it matters to their high school coaches and they get across that it's a big deal that you got this offer. So those, those are really the breakaways that, and he already knows a lot of the defensive backs and likes them and is encouraged by the defensive back room for this next year. Yeah. I was just about to ask, he, he, he makes the NFL comment and I'm, I, as you're talking and as I'm talking now, I'm getting my feet scratched by my dog who (laughs) gave her a little bit of attention, a little, just, just a pet, a little bit of attention. And I don't know people watching on YouTube, where's that? She like ran through, yeah, she got her toy. (laughs) she runs away she grabs her toy brings it over she put it on my foot and then started scratching at my foot because she wants me to play i'm (laughs) podcasting right now i cannot play with you um yeah evan cooper said that there are nfl backs nfl defensive backs in this room currently thoughts on that i think i 
I think I tell you what, I like Quentin Newsom. I like a lot of the things he's done. I like I like Marquise a lot. Um, not only just as a friendly guy, but he can make plays. And then obviously, you know, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Hartzog being a freshman and coming into some big he led the team in interceptions and he didn't even play in the first quarter of the season. Like, come on now. Um, but it's actually interesting because I have been for some stories going back and rewatching this, the season and the games. And with the clarity of hindsight and knowing how the season ended up, you do kind of look at the things a little bit different and that's secondary there. They could have used some uniting help. There's a lot of really good stuff there, but it's like Evan Cooper said, they played hard and they went, you know, they did their best. They just need a, a unifying direction. They need to be on the same page and they need to have their toe, their toes pointed in the right direction. And I think that that's exactly what they were missing because I, I mean, they, they rallied around bill Bush, but same thing with the offense. If you could tell me what the mission statement was for that defense from last year's season, I'd sure like to hear it because I haven't seen it yet. I give you a little bit of homework for this podcast. I want to transition gears to that. Now I asked you for three players who you think have the most to gain on this roster in winter conditioning. Mm -hmm. You can rank them. You can give them to me in no particular order. Give me one player. We'll start with one player. One of your three. One of the three I think would be Jamari Butler. Um, He was a guy who basically entered the portal and then I think like a day or a couple of hours after Tony White got announced, withdrew his name from the portal because I think he could he could do big things. Um, he's positioned well, his skill sets fit well into a Matt Rule system, into a Tony White defense, and um, with the interior defensive line uh, departures that they have had and the uh, edge rusher departures they've had through graduation of the NFL draft, I think he's si- he's situating himself to rocket up. Uh, the depth chart, the depth chart pretty well through winter conditioning. That's a good one. Who's your second player? Fedoni. I think he's, I mean, he posts a lot. So maybe that's what it is. Is I just keep hearing, you know, I just keep seeing his motivational um, recitations to himself. But um, again, I think he's a guy that can separate himself from, from the pack through that. I mean, you lose Chancellor, you lose Travis Vokalek both the graduation. They need somebody to step in at tight end. I mean, they're trying still recruiting some class of 2023 tight ends right now, which means that they, they feel that it's a position of need either for depth or for immediate start. And a guy already in a college program with some experience, I think Thomas Fedoni, and he's got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder and that's, that's the kind of guy that Matt rule loves to play. Hey man, that's a, that's it. It's a brilliant strategic marketing technique just constantly make sure that you are in front of people and they won't forget you that's that's how i got here you know what i mean that that's how you do it man that's how you do it that's i was gonna i was gonna make a joke from um um from a new girl episode uh but that would be breaking the the politics rule i think and i don't think people would like to hear it so never mind um it's not a political joke but whatever Number three, number three, before I say anything dumber. (laughs) Um, I think my number three is Emmett Johnson. Um, They've got a loaded running backs room, but um, EJ Barthol today in 
of kind of talking about how his impressions were of the running back room. He likes Anthony Grant a lot. Um, he remembers as anyone would, as anyone would right? Um, he likes um, he he likes AJ Allen a lot because of what he's able to do differently. Um, he's familiar with Gabe. Um, he he knew a, uh, Ramir from recruiting in high school, um, which I thought was interesting. But he also pointed at Emmett and said, we didn't get to see anything of him. And, but I looked at his spring tape from last year, and he does a lot of things really good. And I wonder if, you know, all things being level now, Emmett Johnson's situated to rocket himself up to, you know, maybe have a pretty good role on on this team in 2023. So I think if he can validate himself to coaches through that, um, I mean, it's going to be tough with Anthony Grant um, it pretty much being the way he is. But, I mean, you got to scrap and push, and then that's that's all these coaching staff wants. And I think Emmett – he's done enough on film already to improve, to impress this coaching staff. I think he could do him. He could do himself a world of favors this spring. I like those three names. Those are good. Um, Brady, you probably got work to do. You talked to coaches today. I'm sure there's stuff coming on Um If, if you guys listening to this are not subscribed to hailvarsity.com, you need to fix that. So go to the website, use the promo code varsity, Make sure that you were able to read all of Brady's work, all of everyone on the team's work. Did I structure that sentence properly? This is why I'm a writer because I can I can go back through and delete something and check. Actually, let's be real. I use Grammarly, so I can I can not have mistakes. I use Grammarly. Let's be real. This is why I'm a writer so that I I can have somebody else edit for me. So I don't have to I don't have to be accurate as I'm speaking. No, um, I, I tell people I'm better on the page. That's my yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the greatest thing that happened uh, to my career was was downloading Grammarly on my uh, <laughs> on my Chrome browser. So um, <laughs> go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code varsity. Make sure you can read everything. Make sure you're getting the magazine. Also, go follow Brady on Twitter. That is a non-negotiable. It's an excellent follow. Go follow Brady on Twitter. Um, shouts to you guys for listening to this episode every week just a cam for producing this episode every week brady thank you for coming on yeah man anytime we'll be back next week thanks guys a hood at media production